This is a production of West Virginia Public Broadcasting. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra, freedom to grow. More information at segra.com. Welcome back to the legislature today. I'm Bob Brunner. Thanks for joining us for tonight's coverage of the 2023 legislative session. Emotions ran high, the rhetoric ran long as House debate closed on the contentious campus carry firearms bill. Randy Yowie has the reaction and the result. Titled the Campus Self-Defense Act, Senate Bill 10 on third reading in the House of Delegates will allow the concealed carry of firearms on college campuses with limitations. Divided on party lines, several of the dozen House Democrats spoke passionately against the bill, concerned with taking institutional freedom away from the many state colleges and universities opposed to campus carry. But Delegate John Williams, Democrat from Montegalia County, voiced his opposition by quoting data-driven research from Johns Hopkins University on the issue. One of the authors examined the 111 high fatality mass shootings defined as six or more murder victims that occurred in the United States since 1966 and found that only 13, only 13 of them had taken place in a gun-free zone. The report also concluded that these types of laws don't limit gun violence on campuses, rather they increase them. And as for college campuses, the report notes that fights, suicide attempts, and reckless behavior, all of which are more lethal when a firearm is present, are far more common among college students in general than are opportunities for armed students to stop rampages. In near unison, many of the 88 House Republicans, like Delegate Chris Pritt, a Republican from Kanawha County, said allowing students, faculty, and staff to carry firearms on the state's college campuses does what lawmakers are pledged to do, defend and protect the individual's rights. Individual rights are not circumstantial. They, don't, they shouldn't depend on where a person is. There should be no such thing as a second-class constitutional right. And that's what we're talking about here. There's, talk, there's a lot of talk about whether something may or may not happen, but there hasn't been any talk, I don't think up to this point, at least amongst some of the people who have spoken, on what it means to have an actual constitutional right. This is a right, in, in fairness, it is fairly unique in the world. This is a right that, that we have as Americans, but it's for good reason. It's based on our history, it's based on our founders and the, the, the trials and tribulations that they faced. 
The committee substitute bill for SB 10 passed 84 to 13. It is now completed legislation and goes to the governor for his signature. After the vote, several Democrats walked out of the chamber, disrupting protocol to the point of adjourning the House until 8 p.m. tonight, with plenty still left on the day's agenda. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. Today was Recovery Advocacy Day at the legislature, the Capitol Rotunda filled with smiling faces, clear heads, hopeful hearts. The goal today, identify areas related to treatment, prevention, and recovery efforts, and lobby for those legislations. Randy Yowie has our story. Uh, mostly pain pills and alcohol, um, but I did it all. Uh, started out as recreational use and fun, um, some rebellion, you know, at, at a young age and just escalated and before I knew it I was, you know, um, too far in. Now 14 years sober and in continuing recovery, Charleston's Deb Harris, a wife and mother of four, hit her so-called rock bottom when her life as a mother was jeopardized. I had actually gotten my kids taken away and gotten them back and realized that I had no idea how to live or raise a family and um, so I had a relapse. I, I had a return to use and uh, woke up one morning three months after that and, and asked God for help and um, been clean ever since. Harris says she was rescued by God and one of the hundreds of West Virginia recovery facilities, many on display in the Capitol today. Joe Deegan is the public policy chair with the West Virginia Association of Addiction and Prevention Professionals. He's here in support of legislation passed like the Patient Brokering Act, cutting down on unscrupulous treatment center middlemen seeking profit over providing help. He's also anxious to see results from the study authorized for a statewide count and analysis of West Virginia's homeless population. We need to really study what the homelessness problem is in the state. There's several counties, Wood, uh, Cabell and Mingo County are really anxious about a proliferation of beds in their communities and then they have some homelessness. So we really need to get in the weeds and say what's really causing that. What really helps short-term recovery become long-term sobriety, the experts say you don't leave your final treatment stay or stint without a detailed plan. You've got to have a plan. You've got to have a follow-through. If you have a plan for up to a year, there's a high end of people that stay in recovery if they even get one year. If you get five years, it's almost like you never had the addiction because you end up in a way of life that you enjoy and you're, uh, you want to do it. It's not like you got to do it, you want to. Deb Harris and so many others here say more people should understand that drug addiction and alcoholism are not conditions, they're certified diseases, medical illnesses. Substance use disorder is a disease. It doesn't make a person a bad person. They're sick. Um, so, you know, don't look down on someone because of their illness, because they're sick. You know, offer them hope, offer them love, offer them support. Um, let them know that you care about them. Harris and Deegan say West Virginia is one of the few states seeing a decline in overdose deaths, countering with new sober lives, all remaining in recovery. For the legislature today, I'm Randy Yowie. A bill meant to staff each West Virginia hospital with a qualified sexual assault nurse examiner passed the Senate unanimously today and is headed to the governor's office. Appalachia Health News reporter Emily Rice has more. Senate Bill 89 has been discussed at length this legislative session, in addition to interim meetings. The bill requires all West Virginia hospitals to have sexual assault nurse examiners on staff and on call. 
Two amendments to the bill passed through the House of Delegates yesterday that would allow hospitals to transfer victims to a facility with trained staff or treat them via telehealth. According to Summers, telehealth or transfers will only be an option if the victim provides their consent. It would not be allowed to be done if somebody didn't give their consent for it. So if you research the data on telesane, it's called, if you find that, the reason it's been created is because the rural and underserved communities also usually can't find people. So what they'll do is they'll use someone that, that knows how to perform an exam, but they only get one or one a year, right? They don't have all of the knowledge that somebody that's an expert in the field might. So it just works to help supplement that so that you get the best evidence that you possibly can. Senate Bill 89, as amended, was passed by both chambers and now heads to Governor Jim Justice's desk to await his signature. Reporting for the legislature today, I'm Emily Rice. The Senate today took up a bill that would change how much counties pay for inmates they send to the state's correctional system and how those payments might be made. Chris Schultz has more. The purpose of this bill is to resolve the jail funding issue the legislature has grappled with for the past few years. Senate Bill 596 aims to modify the payments for housing and maintenance of inmates in the state's correctional system. The amount counties and municipalities pay for every day of incarceration has been capped at $48.25 per inmate since 2018. But the state budget office stated earlier this year the per diem rate will increase to $54.48 in July. Senator Jason Barrett, a Republican from Berkeley County, is the bill's lead sponsor. He said 596 will establish a pro-rate system to help counties pay the increased cost. It creates a formula by which uh, the county's jail bill is calculated. Uh, so what we were able to do, uh, through, with a lot of math, uh, we were able to figure out each county's uh, allotment of jailed nights. Uh, and then we were able to create a formula uh, based on that pro rata share that each county will receive uh, that the first 80 percent of the nights uh, that, the, that, that, that happened in the county would be uh, billed at a 20 percent discount rate uh, from 80 percent to 100 percent would be billed uh, at the at 100 percent of the, of the current rate uh, and then if the if the county goes over their allotted nights uh, there would be a 20 percent penalty uh, for those nights. The rates for each county will be calculated by the Commissioner of Corrections and Rehabilitation using census data and reviewed every 10 years. Barrett said through the 20% penalty, the bill would encourage counties to not only reduce their jail bill, but also develop alternative programs to help West Virginians. This way we are able to reduce the jail costs for counties and also incentivizing them uh, to have uh, really good day report centers, uh, recovery resource centers, uh, and then also utilize home confinement officers. So I really think that's, that's the important part of this bill uh, is that we are incentivizing counties uh, to not only reduce their jail bill, but to help people of West Virginia. Uh, we certainly have a drug epidemic. Uh, utilizing those things that I mentioned I think uh, helps those people, helps the, the uh, regional jail costs for counties, but if counties refuse to to um, participate in those things and, and they don't make an effort to reduce uh, their jail bill uh, in, the, in the amount of nights that, that uh, folks stay in jail in their county, uh, then there'll be, uh, there will be a monetary penalty for that. The Division of Corrections and Rehabilitation, which has budgetary issues including a deferred maintenance cost of $200 million, has previously stated that the artificially low per diem payments do not cover the actual cost of incarceration. 
In presenting the bill on the Senate floor, Chair of the Senate Finance Committee, Senator Eric Tarr, a Republican from Putnam County, highlighted a provision in the bill that would put county commissioners personally on the hook for unpaid jail bills. It would codify the common and case law principle that public officials may be held personally liable for clearly delineated constitutional and statutory duties. This section of code clearly provides that counties bear the responsibility for paying for inmate housing and care. When a county fails to pay for inmate housing, this bill would codify that the liability on both codify that liability on both an official level and a personal level. There is a proviso in the bill that allows personal liability to be avoided by entering into a payment agreement and remaining current on the payments as set out in the agreement. Mr. President, I urge passage of the bill. The bill passed 22 to 11, with one senator absent, and now heads to the House of Delegates for their consideration. For the legislature today, I'm Chris Schultz. Between the roads to prosperity and federal infrastructure law, there's a lot going on when it comes to roads and bridges. Curtis Tate now speaks with Transportation Secretary Jimmy Riston and Senator Charles Clements, the chairman of the Senate Committee on Transportation and Infrastructure, to discuss the state's progress. Thank you, Bob. Our topic today is transportation, and uh, we have two guests to discuss that with us today. We have uh, Secretary of Transportation Jimmy Riston. We also have Senator Charles Clements of Wetzel, Wetzel County. Excuse me. Um, welcome to the legislature today. Thank you for being here. Uh, Secretary Riston, let me, let me start with you and let me ask you about uh, Governor Jim Justice's signature Roads to Prosperity program, $2.8 billion you know, construction projects all over the, the state of West Virginia. Uh, can you give us kind of a progress report on that? What do we need to know? I, absolutely. You know, the last bond tranche was just uh, just a little more than a year ago. Uh, we, we sold that last bucket of bonds, and we're, we're rolling those projects out. By the end of the year, all of those projects will be under contract. So uh, we're making great progress. We're uh, got slowed down a little bit with the pandemic, but uh, the, the roads to prosperity, the governor's great vision for the state, has really shown us what investing in our infrastructure can do for us. And uh, th that was exactly what he told us when, when, he, when he took office in 2017. You know, you focus on education, you focus on transportation, you focus on tourism, and you turn things around, and we've seen that. Let me also ask you about bridges, because I know you're a bridge guy. Uh, when, you, we, when you testified in the U.S. Senate last year, uh, you said that, that the, there are thousands of bridges in West Virginia, and, and some of them are in, in dire need of attention. They're not always the big ones like the, the Nitro Bridge or the ones up in Wheeling. Uh, can, you, can you tell us a little bit more about the, the backlog there? These are just kind of small, ordinary bridges that people might not notice. Uh, what, are, what are we looking at there? Well, what, and like you said, uh, there's a lot of bridges in West Virginia, 7,141 at last count. That's a lot of bridges for a small state, and uh, the state takes care of all of those. The, uh, the Infrastructure and Investment Jobs Act is going to help us really, really uh, move our bridge program forward. Uh, we have a lot of bridges to take care of, a lot of them are signature bridges, and you've seen us deal with many of those with the Governor's Roads to Prosperity program. We're going to continue that. We're going to be able to help with the municipalities with this, this federal program. Um, so many of those bridges will be federally funded at 100% with no match. Uh, there's another section of those bridges that are non-state owned, and we're going to work with those, those folks that do own those, uh, the municipalities that own them. To, uh, to try to ease that burden of, of the 20% match with those as well. But all told, we're, we're more than 500 million over the five-year uh, life of the bill 
to, uh, to, to deal with our bridges. Now, don't misunderstand me. West Virginia bridges are safe. If they're not safe, they're closed. Uh, but they do need attention. And we've got to get the, the poor rating, the poor condition rating of these bridges up to good, fair, move, move, the, move those into where we can uh, serve the citizens and not have posted bridges out there. Well, you mentioned the bipartisan infrastructure law, uh, and I think that gives about $500 million or so for bridges in West Virginia. How far will that get you? Well, it's, uh, it's, not, it's certainly not gonna take care of uh, 7,141 bridges, but it's absolutely an impressive down payment. It's a very impressive down payment. I, I would tell you, I'm not gonna use slang for that bill, that, that bipartisan infrastructure, that's slang and that's a politically motivated. So uh, the bottom line is, this is the Infrastructure Investment Jobs Act that we're talking about. And that was a bipartisan effort led by our, our great Senator Shelley Moore Capito that got a lot of this stuff in there for our bridges and for rural West Virginia. Uh, well, Senator Clements, uh, speaking of, of bridges, uh, there, there seems to be some concern um, in the legislature about, uh, you know, putting names, putting people's names on bridges and highways and, and things like that. There's some effort, I think, to, to maybe, maybe uh, uh, limit that some. What can you tell us about that? It was, it is, we passed a new rule through the joint rule of the House and Senate, which puts a time frame on those bills. What had happened in the past was all of those bills were to come over to the Senate from the House the last week of the session. And it clogged up our operations because our attorneys and intern that works on those, they had to spend a lot of time just working on those bridge naming resolutions. So now we have a process in place that will take effect after this year so we'll have, still have the same log jam this year. However, I don't think there's as many of them as in the past. And they have to have all that information in the system before we come into session next year. And those bills, those bridges resolutions are gonna have to be passed out early in the session so that we don't, don't have that log jam because that last week, We've got a lot of important legislation we need to work on, and we're being sidetracked by these bridge naming resolutions. Uh, Secretary Riston, do, does that process of, of bridge naming, changing signage and stuff like that, does that create any sort of burden for your, your department? Oh, oh, absolutely. All, all the information that the legislature needs to do this comes from us, and I have people over there working hard. The, the new rules that, it is, that the senator mentioned, great for us because it gives me a running start. I'll have this, I'll know what they need earlier. So, so I'm not at the last minute trying to get that stuff together and get it over there in time for them to get it through the process. So it's gonna help us tremendously. That, that's, a, that's a earmark, if you will, of the, the legislature and the agencies working together more. We, we've had un, unprecedented support from the legislature over the last four or five years. And we've accomplished a great deal together simply by figuring out what our roles are and, and working together on these things. Um, Senator Clements, could you tell us a little bit about what some of your priorities are in, in your committee, uh, your chair of the Transportation Committee in the Senate? Uh, uh, what are some of the things that you'd like to get done, just like two or three things that you'd like to get done this session? Well, <clears throat> the main thing that we, I like to see done is to make sure that we have legislation that supports the highway department. The, Maintenance and repair and construction of highway is an executive function. 
But of course, the legislature controls the purse strings. So we have to make sure that the, the highway department has the funding they need in place when they need it, because oftentimes we may end up in a position where federal funds are available and we need matching funds. And we want to make sure that the highway department is in a position to take care of that so that we don't lose that federal funding. That's a major thing. And, you know, we look at the, the many things that the state needs is responsible for. Of course, we look at education as important, but our highway network touches everybody in this state. There's nobody that doesn't end up on our roads and highways here in West Virginia. And so that's important that we do everything we can to keep them at a high standard and make sure that the highway department has the tools that they need to do that. Well, certainly highways are a, a, a big deal for West Virginia. Uh, you know, they've opened up a lot of uh, of places that made them more accessible, uh, and, and certainly one of the projects we talked about talk about a lot is is uh, one like Corridor H, uh, that's been in the making for uh, probably more than 50 years, and uh, and it's uh, it's in various stages of completion. I th I guess mostly complete, but uh, but what more needs to be done, Secretary Riston? What do you need to get that finished? Well, we have we have a few sections in between uh, Parsons and Davis, and then we have the one section from Wardensville to the Virginia line. Uh, th those, those sections are, uh, we're, we're moving forward, we're moving forward at the speed of business, and uh, we're going to get them done. Uh, we, we've had difficulties with our federal partners, uh, but we're, we're starting to communicate a little better, we're starting to earn each other's trust a little better, we're starting to realize that if they're not going to meet their agendas, or they're not going to meet their objectives, if we don't have a successful project. And the state of West Virginia is not in opposition to any of their objectives because we've been, we've been, we've been concerned with the same things for the last two decades. When we build quarter eights, we care about the water quality here in West Virginia. We care about the air quality. We care about those rare, threatened, and endangered species. It, it's not just that, we're, uh, that, that, that we care about them either. It's who we are. And it's, it's paramount for us to take care of those things. As an engineer, you know, we were the first conservationist. And those things have always been important to us. And a modern, safe, efficient highway can function and be constructed in conjunction with taking care of our environment and our, and our precious natural resources that are out there. Um, Senator Clements, what's a, an example of a, an infrastructure priority for you? Well, I've... I've got one that I'm trying to push that uh, it's hard to get through is I've worked for years to try to get the extension of Interstate 68 from Morgantown into the Ohio Valley, which is with the development of the gas industry and with the expansion of business and everything on Ohio Valley, it is a very important road to connect the Ohio Valley with the East Coast and, and all over the rest of the rest of the nation. I personally would love to see the road extend clear to Dayton, Ohio, and help Ohio by getting traffic out of Columbus, but that's their problem. I want to see, I want to see our, that highway built, and I know that it, it, something like that takes a lot of time. And all I hope to be able to do is plant a couple of seeds that might just, just get that done, Jim. Well, well what's, what is the status of that? Has anything been done on that project? Well, there's just been a lot of talk and we had some headway going on with some of the people with the Interstate 60, I 68 Route 2 Authority to had been in Washington and then when the administration things changed, 
we lost all our contacts and we were just almost back to square one over there. There's been a lot of work by the highway department on West Virginia Route 2. That is a major road in the state of West Virginia and it's being piecemealed and it can be done to bring that up to four lane standards and it, it's, it's moving along. There's, there's two jobs going right now and a third one that's just ready to go on, start any time now that will help bring that road up to four lane standards. And in particular, in, if you look in Marshall County, we want to move the road from where it presently is over against the hillside and that's going to open up all that area in there for very good industrial development. Well, Secretary Riston, we only have about a minute left. What are some of the things that, that you and your department can do to, to help move along projects like that? Well, we, we have to keep the focus on them and we have, to, we have to really make sure that people understand that things do take time. But the key element that, that we've been missing all these years is we've underinvested in our infrastructure for decades and decades. The Governor's Roads Prosperity Program started moving us in the right direction. The IJA is starting to move us in the right direction. And it, it's not going to end all be all, but it's an impressive down payment. So we've got to keep these funding levels up and we've got to keep that ball rolling. Uh, like the Senator says, if we don't really stay on top of these things, they'll slip away on us. So we can, he can plant those seeds and they'll sprout, but it'll take a while for that to be a big oak. All right. Well, thank you so, both so much, uh, Secretary Riston, Senator Clements. Back to you, Bob. Thanks for that, Curtis. Tune in to the legislature today, Monday through Friday at 6 p.m. We'll have more news and interviews from the 2023 legislative session. And remember, West Virginia Public Broadcasting is covering the session daily on our radio news program, West Virginia Morning, and on our news site at wvpublic.org. We also broadcast the daily floor sessions of both the House and Senate on the West Virginia channel, and we stream those on YouTube as well. I'm Bob Runner. Thanks for joining us. Have a great evening. Support for the legislature today is provided by West Virginia University, building futures close to home at campuses in Morgantown, Kaiser, and Beckley. Information at wvu.edu. Embassy Suites by Hilton Charleston, an all-suite hotel and conference center minutes from Yeager Airport and Capital Market. Reservations and brasserie dining information available at hilton.com. Segra, providing fiber-based communication solutions. Segra freedom to grow. More information at segra.com.